Hey, and welcome to this podcast by Chestnut Mountain Church, located in Flowery Branch, Georgia, where our mission is to saturate the world by making disciples. We invite you to check out our website at chestnutmountain.org and follow us on social on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at chestnutmtn underscore to learn more about who we are. There are also video episodes located on our YouTube channel, along with other content not on this podcast. This episode features a sermon replay from Sunday's message. Let's take a listen. We're going to go ahead and jump into a series this morning that's going to take the next three to four weeks. And this series is entitled Response. And as I was praying and getting ready for this morning, I was sitting in my chair at probably 4.30 this morning. And, and it's almost as if I got burdened because if this was the, if there was one message that I could preach that it would be the last one, it would probably be this one. Because what I'm praying that you're gonna find today is you're gonna hear the message of the simple gospel. And I think for the church, we've complicated this thing. We've complicated the good news of Jesus Christ. And and so if it was my heart's desire that I had an opportunity to preach one more message, it would be something similar to this because I know the freedom that was revealed to me when I finally just got a glimpse of what the gospel really means, of what the gospel really means. And so that's why we've entitled this series Response. The definition of response in our English language is this, a reaction of a living thing to a stimulus. A reaction of a living thing to a stimulus. And so the best example that I can give you of response comes at the expense of my two oldest boys. It's pretty comical, but please do not call defects when we leave today, okay? And by the way, our third son turns one year old today. And so if you see him, I guess you can tell him happy birthday. He doesn't really know what you're saying to him, but it, it'd make my wife feel better, I guess. But the best example of response that I can give is you're gonna really hear how sick and twisted our home is. This has been a couple of years ago. We were riding down the road and, and Cooper's a lot like me. He can fall asleep at the drop of a hat. And so we're riding down the road and I noticed that Cooper was in like, he was in a coma state, like he was out. So I looked at Chelsea, I said, let's scare him to death. So we're just driving, you know, Cooper, if you know Cooper, he doesn't get excited about anything. He's just, huh? except this one time. So we're driving down the road and we did the old normal. And I said, look, on the count of three, we're gonna scream bloody murder and I'm gonna slam on the brakes. And so we did that. Cooper responded. <laughs> ah! And he jumped up in his seat and his eyes were this big around. I mean, it was the funniest thing I have ever seen. Brock, my oldest son, he, he died laughing at Cooper's response. So now you fast forward a couple of weeks. Remember, Brock really, really laughed at Cooper. And so now Brock's sound asleep. Yeah, you already got it. So I sort of have to sit down to give you the example of really what happened. 
And so as we're sitting there, I wish we'd have videoed it, but we didn't. Cooper says we did, but we couldn't find it because I really wanted to show it this morning. Um, but as we're riding down the road, I thought, okay, we're gonna get Brock this time. And so Brock was laid back in the back corner of the car, just sound asleep in his own little world. And so we did it again. Cooper was sound asleep. I thought we would get Cooper again, but here's how Cooper responded this time. That was it. We got Cooper the one time. But Brock was literally laying down, sound asleep. We screamed bloody murder. We locked the car up. And Brock jumps up and he goes, why would you do that? And he starts squalling. So now it's not near as funny that it happened to him, but he literally was running his place as fast as he could possibly go. And needless to say, he did not talk to us for two days. He was so mad, he was so upset, but he responded to something that, it, that triggered the fear that was deep within him. And so that's the best example that I know how to give of a response, because I believe that if we fully understand and we get a glimpse of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it creates a supernatural response in us as his children that we cannot control because it's the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. Not that that was the power of the Holy Spirit working in Brock and Cooper's life, because I don't think that's it. But when we watched that, we saw what happened but more importantly, we understood the why it happened. We saw what happened to Brock and Cooper, but we know the reason of why. It's because they reacted as living things to a stimulus, something that we had created in them. And so with that being said, that lays the framework of the why behind the what. And what we're gonna talk about for the next three to four weeks is we're gonna talk about some things that we as believers do, that we as believers should do. And where we have to be so careful is because when we talk about what we as Christians are to be doing, we've gotta be careful that it doesn't turn into legalism, that it doesn't turn into this is what we have to do in order to earn this or to receive this. And so that's what we're gonna look at. And so we're gonna talk about the what believers do, but more importantly, our heart's desire is that by the end of this three or four weeks, more important than the what is we're gonna understand the why. And for a lot of us, here's the reality. This is not new information. This is not new news. Matter of fact, the next three to four weeks for some of us could be one of the most simplest reminders that we as the church need to hear. We need to be often reminded of things. But some of the things that we're gonna talk about that the believers do, it's gonna be related to relationships, it's gonna be related to generosity, and then it's gonna be related to obedience. So these are gonna be all the things that Christians ought to be doing if we're truly walking in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so some of the things that we're gonna, some of the questions is, we're gonna ask is, why do we love other people? Why are we generous? And why do we go? Why are we obedient? But all this is leading up to what we're gonna be doing on December 4th. December 4th is gonna be a very big, very big day for us as a church. This is gonna be, if you remember the series of Belong, Become, Build, our heart's desire is that every one of you in this room become builders of the kingdom of God. 
And our job as a church is to provide opportunities for you to become a builder, opportunities for you to help build the kingdom of God. So on December 4th, overlapping into some on the 3rd, we will be going into our community. We'll be having a normal services, our nine o'clock and our 1045 that morning. But then that evening, we will be going out into our community in teams of anywhere from six to 10. We're hoping and praying for 50 different locations. I think as of last week, we're already over 40. So we're getting very, very close. But what we're gonna do is build these teams because what we've done in the past, there's the beauty of, of growth is we've, we've grown to such a place that when we send teams out, there's a lot of times that we overcrowd the places we go. And so a lot of you, a lot of myself, a lot of my, we sit there and do this. And so that's why we're breaking it apart and doing these little micro missions, if you would. And so we're gonna be going into our community on this build day and just loving on people. But what's important is not necessarily the what we'll be doing that day, but the why we're doing it. Not about the what, but the why. And some of you may even be aware of this this afternoon, Immediately following the 1045 service, um, when we did our ministry fair a few weeks ago, um, many of you signed up to be a part of missions. December 4th helps us accomplish that. But also after the 1045 service today in the cafe, there will be a very short, brief informational meeting about a trip that we'll be as a church taken to Cambodia in the spring of, the, of 2023. So look, I would encourage you, if you just wanna hear, look, coming doesn't commit you to anything. But I would encourage you to come and just to hear out what that meeting's gonna be about. The beauty of it is I told my kids this morning and my kids are like, can we go to the meeting? Can we go to the meeting? I said, yes, you can go to the meeting. So we will be there, um, but I would ask you, I would love for you to be just to hear what God's doing. But again, Cambodia is a what? But we gotta understand the why. We've gotta make sure that we as believers understand the why. But like I said, the information that you're gonna hear the next three to four weeks, it may not be new information to you. It may be a simple reminder because that's what Paul often did in a lot of his letters was simply remind the church. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I don't wanna, I don't wanna freak anybody out today, but I'm actually gonna be reading from a different version of the Bible today. I'm gonna be reading from the Christian Standard Bible. Um, some of you probably know it as the Holman uh, Christian Bible. Um, it was one that came out, Lifeway produces it. Um, but when I landed on chapter 15, verse one today, I just love the simplicity of how this reads um, because it speaks to me because of its simplicity. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, we're gonna read verses one through four. And I love how Paul starts out this part of this chapter. He says there, now I want to make it clear for you, brothers and sisters. I wanna make it clear to you, brothers and sisters. Now, if he starts a letter out that way or starts a, a, a chapter out that way, I wanna make this clear. What does that imply? That there's something has become unclear. If there's something that needs to be cleared up, then we know that there's something that is now not clear. And here comes the simplicity of the message. What Paul simply wants to make clear, what he simply wants to remind the church of is the song that we just sung about, the gospel. He wants to remind these, these new believers of this gospel. And so we keep reading, keep reading in that chapter 15, verses one through four. He says, now I wanna make it clear to you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you, which you received. 
So he's preached it, they've received it. They're now followers of Christ on which you have taken your stand and by which you are being saved. If you hold to this message, I preach to you unless you believed it in vain. Verse three, for I passed on to you as the, I passed on to you most important what I also received. So Paul's saying, you've received it, I've received it. That Christ died for our sins according to the scripture and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. So what Paul needs to clear up is what we just said is the gospel. Because what's happening in this church already is there's, there's beginning to be some chatter about the resurrection. Because these believers are now kind of starting to question the resurrection of, 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 of people, of followers, of believers. And so we see that by reading verses 12 through 14 that this resurrection is starting to be questioned by the church. He says, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our proclamation is in vain. And so is your faith. Without the resurrection, we have nothing. Without the resurrection of Christ, we have nothing. And so what the churches begin to do is they begin to question this resurrection. They begin to question one of the most pivotal pillars of the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And so if they start questioning the gospel, what we have to ask the question is, is where will this questioning stop? If they can question the resurrection, then what's next? And I believe that's one reason that Paul tries to get out in front of this questioning, because here they are trying to poke holes in the good news. They're trying to poke holes in this, this, this unbelievable information that brings life to the death. And so now Paul wants to get out in front of that because his greatest concern is if they're gonna poke holes in the resurrection, where's it gonna stop? What will they begin to try to question next? Because if they're gonna question the resurrection, is it just a matter of time before they question the death? Is it just a matter of time if they... They question the forgiveness of their sins. And what we've seen in a lot of the other letters is we've seen some of the false teachers that try to pull these new believers back into the bondage of the law. They're saying, surely that grace is not just enough. You've got to follow these rules. You've got to follow this law. You've got to do this or you've got to do that to earn God's love. So we already know that that's being taught by some of the false teachers. And so that's always gotta be on the forefront of the, the, the concern of Paul's heart and his mind is, is don't let these young believers, don't let this young church be pulled back into the legalism of Christianity. That's the very thing they've been set free from. And so we see that Paul wants to get back to the basics. He says, hey, I wanna make something clear. I want to make something clear to you. And so that's our heart's desire this morning for the next three weeks is just to simply make something clear. We just wanna bring clarity to the simplicity of the gospel. You know, and I think for us, even as, as Christians, one of the easiest things to forget and one of the easiest things to get pulled back into is the work-based mentality of earning God's love of trying to be good enough, 
thinking that when we mess up that God loves us less, thinking that when we give back into temptation that, that that's a strike in our box. But the simple message of the gospel reminds us that our acceptance has nothing to do with how good or how bad we are. It has everything to do with what Christ finished on the cross, everything. And so I want us to be careful. I want us to be careful that we don't fall back into the world of legalism. Now understand that, that yes, as we follow Christ, as we fall more in love with him, we are gonna look different. We're gonna act different. We're gonna talk different. We're gonna do different things. But what we've gotta make sure is that we get back to the basic and the foundation principles of the gospel, that it's not about what we're doing, but it's the why behind the what. Why are we doing it? You know, several weeks back when we, we talked about making sure that we're gonna stand with and fight for our next generation, for our young people. We talked about the questionnaire that we sent out to the students and they did the fill in the blank statement. And I actually mentioned that a few weeks ago of, of what if I did that to you as a church? And I got to thinking about it again. So we may start doing it because I think it would really, it would be, really be interesting to hear what goes on in your mind. But if I was gonna send out a question this past week, I've, I would have loved to have sent out the question is, what makes someone a good Christian? What makes someone a good Christian? And I have a feeling that when, if you had the opportunity to, to respond to that anonymously where nobody knew, I think the list would begin to grow and it may sound like things of, well, someone who doesn't cheat on their spouse, someone who doesn't drink, smoke, and do drugs, somebody who doesn't lie, somebody who doesn't kill, somebody who doesn't steal. And so as we would read this list, what we would quickly realize is that the qualifications of a good Christian is all centered around the do's and don'ts of that person. What I wanna make very clear to you is that that is contrary to the gospel. That is contrary to the good news of Jesus Christ. Because whether or not we're a Christian or a follower of Christ or a believer has everything to do with what Jesus Christ has done. It has everything to do with what Jesus Christ has done, not what we are doing now or not doing now. J.D. Greer gives the example of this, and I think it's kind of comical, but I think we can relate. He uses the example of, of a dog that laid on his front porch of his fraternity house when he was in college. This poor dog was crippled. He's down in his back end, he couldn't walk. And so literally all he did was lay on the front porch of this fraternity house and, and look at every person that went by. He didn't even have the strength to lift his head. He would just cut his eyes at him as everybody stepped over him. So this dog's name was, was Max and he just laid there. He just stared at folks. He didn't cause any trouble. He didn't chase any cars. He didn't get into anybody's trash. He didn't bite anybody that showed up on the front porch. So if we were using Max's life to define what makes a good Christian, Max would have knocked it out of the park. 
because he wasn't causing trouble. He wasn't lying. He wasn't stealing. He wasn't getting angry. He didn't cuss. He didn't drink, smoke, and do drugs. So if we're basing it off of how good or how bad someone is, then Max was a good Christian. Max had it figured out because Max wasn't causing any trouble. But what we've got to make very, very clear is that to be in right standing with God, it's not about what we do or don't do, but it's about what Christ has done for us. That's the simple gospel message. And truthfully, the simplicity behind that message is offensive to a lot of people because everybody thinks there's gotta be more to it than that. I've gotta do this to earn God's love. I've gotta do this. No, you don't. Because when Jesus said it is finished, that's what he meant. It was finished. And now our responsibility is to trust in his finished work. And we're gonna expand on that a little bit more, but, but that's exactly what Paul's telling him here. Let me make it clear. Look at verse 10. Paul says, but by grace, I love this verse. If you don't remember anything today, you need to stamp this, underline it, highlight it. Verse 10, where Paul says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. It is only by the grace of God that I am what I am. It has nothing to do with what Paul's doing or not doing, but the reason that Paul is who Paul is is only by the grace of God. That by the grace of God, I am who I am. And I don't know about you, but there is comfort in that. There is courage in that. That Paul is announcing I am who I am because of the grace of God. Because of the grace of God. And then he goes on in that verse 10 to talk about his, his life. He says, look, I've worked harder than anybody. I've done everything in order to try to follow the rules. I've exhausted myself. He talked about being zealous of his religion. He talked about being zealous, having all the energy in the world to accomplish what he felt like he had to accomplish to earn something. But then he says in so many words, even in all of that, Jesus offered and extended an invitation to me. The same invitation that's been extended to you as the church. And that's what he's telling the, the church at Corinth. He's saying, Jesus has extended us this invitation. You've received it. I've received it. And because of that grace, we are who we are. I am who I am because of the finished work of what Jesus has done. And I love how Paul relates to him. He says, you've received it, I've received it. And if you're a child of God this morning, you too have received that invitation from the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You've received it, I've received it. And because of that, we are who we are. Because of Jesus' invitation. Now, one of the invitations of, of someone that we're all very familiar with, if you've ever attended a vacation Bible school is the character of Zacchaeus. We all know this story for the most part. We can all relate to the story of Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus is one of those men who received an invitation from Jesus. He received the same invitation that Paul received. He received the same invitation that the children of Corinth received. And if you're a follower of Christ, Zacchaeus received the same invitation that you've received. But you all know the story. He was the chief tax collector and he was very, very rich. Now, there's nothing wrong with being rich, but the problem with how he was rich was the way he had obtained that status. He was a liar, he was a deceiver, he was a cheat. So he had taken advantage of all of these people. He was very dishonest. He was very hated by the townspeople. And so as the story goes, Jesus is traveling through Jericho and everybody's talking about this, this man and what Jesus was doing and Zacchaeus got curious. And so he's trying to, I, I kind of get the visual of, of a parade. It's almost like he's trying to get his way in the front of the line. And if you're anything, you can relate. Y'all know where I'm going with that. So he's trying to weasel his way to get on the front lines of this parade. But he was so despised by many. He, he was so hated by people that nobody would let him through. And so they continued to close the gap. They continued to not let him through. And so we'd have to believe that Zacchaeus came very frustrated. He says, well, if they're not gonna let me through, I just wanna see who this Jesus is. I wanna see what he's all about. And so we know how the story goes. He goes and he climbs up in the top of this tree just so that he can observe what all that Jesus is doing. But what we know is we begin to see exactly the heart of, of who Jesus is. We know that he makes his way through this crowd and he approaches this tree that Zacchaeus has climbed up in. Now, the one thing that's just mind-blowing to me that really get my wheels turning as I was thinking about that is, think about all the people that Jesus passed on his way to the bottom of the tree. He passed a lot of people who probably believed that he was the son of God. He probably passed a lot of people who had already believed in this good news of this gospel. But he also passed the Pharisees. He also passed the religious people who could check all the boxes, who could cross all the T's and dot all the I's because they had this Christianity thing figured out. And so as he's passing all walks of life, he's passing all the good Christians, he's passing all the dogs named Max to go to this man named Zacchaeus, who is despised and hated by many. And so I don't know about you, but I put my, myself in, in Zacchaeus's shoes, probably a size seven or eight, literally. And as he's up in that tree, he's got to see Jesus making his way through the crowd. Zacchaeus has probably taken note of, of who all Jesus is passing. I know that person, they've got, this, they've got this thing figured out. Boy, on the outside, that person's got it together. That man, he's coming to me. Is there somebody else in this tree with me? Because surely if the son of God knows what I've done, if the son of God knows what I'm guilty of, there's no way that he's gonna give me the time of day because I'm not good enough. I'm not holy enough. I don't even attempt to have this thing figured out. And so can you imagine the heart of Zacchaeus as he's seeing Jesus Christ approach his tree going, who am I 
that the son of God is going to approach me. And if you've been following Jesus Christ for any amount of time, you probably know how Zacchaeus felt. Because when the spirit of God began to invite you in, when the Holy Spirit of God began to remove, to move in your heart, to reveal his love for you, how many times did you think, well, I'm not as good as that person. There's no way that he's coming to me right now because the life that I'm living. There is no way that the son of God is approaching me because of the sin that I'm currently living in. There's no way that the son of God is inviting me in because of what I've done in the past. So there is no way that this is happening. And I can only imagine that Zacchaeus is probably the closer that Jesus got, you wonder did his head begin to stoop lower. Who am I? And then all of a sudden the son of God speaks and he says, Zacchaeus, here's an invitation. Come down. Come down. So here's Zacchaeus. He's up just observing with no intention of encountering Jesus Christ face to face. But Jesus being who Jesus is, aren't you thankful today that he saves the chief of sinners? Aren't you thankful today that he approaches you in spite of who you are, in spite of what you're doing, in spite of what you've done? That the son of God invites you into a relationship and asks to have a relationship with you. But you know, the thing about it is what just is mind-blowing to me is that when Jesus invited Zacchaeus, there was no stipulations. He didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, come down, but, but, but before you come down, I want you to stand up in that tree and I want you to apologize to everybody. Zacchaeus, I want you to to quit your job of being a tax collector before you come down. Zacchaeus, I want you to make things right with all the people before I'm gonna welcome you in. Not one time did Jesus attach any strings. Jesus just simply said, hey, come on. Come follow me. I wanna go to your house. You do what? Yeah, I wanna to go to your house. Jesus, do you know who I am? Jesus, do you know what I've done? Jesus, do you realize these people wouldn't even let me on the front line so I could see you? They hate me that much. I don't care. I love you that much. Come on. Come on. And it's just mind-blowing to me that Jesus didn't say, hey, you gotta straighten up first. You gotta kick this habit. You gotta kick that habit. But he just said, come on. And we see that once Zacchaeus in that moment, he had a decision to make. Is he gonna get down or is he gonna stay put? There's no doubt in my mind 
that there's some people that are here. Notice I said some people, not just one person. I believe there's many people in this room today that you're still in the tree and you're still just wanting to observe the things of Jesus. Jesus has invited you in. But you think in your mind you're not good enough. You think in your mind that you've got to kick this habit. You've got to kick that habit. But in that moment, Zacchaeus says, okay, I've got a decision to make. I can either stay put, stay in living this lifestyle that I'm living, or I can simply receive the invitation. I can get down and follow this man named Jesus. I don't understand how he can invite me in. I don't understand all of that. But at this point in time, I've got to make a decision. And the reality is, is there's some people here today that you're still in the tree. Jesus is inviting you in and you've got to make a decision. Are you going to get down out of the tree or are you going to stay put? Jesus ain't going to pull you out of the tree. He's going to extend the invitation. Then it's your responsibility to receive it or just to say, wait. I wonder how many people in this room have said, wait. Wait, I just don't feel qualified yet. Can I tell you, if you're waiting to the day you feel qualified, you're gonna be waiting a lifetime. Because you ain't ever gonna be qualified. If we could be qualified, then there wouldn't be no need for the giving of the son. So do you need to get down out of the tree? that you're choosing to stay in. And I almost feel like we could just even stop right now and give the invitation because there's somebody in the room, your heart is pounding out of your chest because you're going, I've been in this tree for years and I'm sick of being in this tree. I'm sick of trying to be good enough. I'm sick of trying to follow all the rules. I'm sick of trying to figure it out, thinking that I've got to be good enough in order for Jesus to invite me, in order for Jesus to accept me. What you need to hear this morning is Jesus is calling you by name and he's saying, come on down. I don't care what you've done. I wonder if there's somebody that's sitting here right now. I'm not gonna ask you to stand up and come down front. But if you can say, Brian, I'm still in the tree. If you would just simply raise your hand and put it back down. Anybody? Anybody? Anybody that would just say, Brian, I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of sitting in this tree just observing I'm tired of trying to be good enough. And today I hear Jesus inviting me and I'm ready to get out. If that's you, just lift your hand and put it right back down. I'm not gonna bring attention to you. Is there anybody? Okay, I've been obedient. That's all I gotta go with. Whew, I feel better now. I done broke out in a sweat, Will. Because I knew if I moved on, I was being disobedient. So we're gonna get right back in it now. But here's the good news of the gospel. What Paul says in verses one and two of chapter 15, he says, the gospel I've preached to you when you received it, which you have now taken your stand. And you no longer are trying to live by your works. You're standing on me. You're standing on the foundation of what I have done. He says, and that also you are being saved. What Paul is simply reminding the church of is this. 
When you receive the invitation that Jesus has extended, you now stand on the gospel of Jesus Christ and you no longer have to attempt to stand on your works. I don't know about you, but that was the most freeing thing for me as a child of God to finally comprehend is that my foundation is not how good or how bad I am. My foundation is not anything to do with me, but the foundation that I now stand on is the gospel of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Because if we stand on our works, what we find ourselves doing a lot of time is walking on thin ice. Because we often think, well, if I step over here, that's gonna crack. If I step over here, that's gonna break. If I step over here, I'm gonna fall. If I step on what I'm trying to do, I'm gonna make a mess of this. But praise God that when we are standing on the firm foundation of who Jesus Christ is, there's nowhere that we can walk that we're not standing on that foundation. That foundation doesn't move. And we read that in 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 12 through 13. It says, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, or costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test the quality of one's work. Can I tell you that if you stand on anything other than the work of Jesus Christ, it will not last. It will not last. But here's the humbling part. That you, as a child of God, you get to stand on the work that someone else has done. You get to stand on what is already finished. You get to stand on what the Son of God accomplished for you. Maybe you were always that kid in school when you did group science projects. I always loved it because I always got with the smartest people. Because I got credit for the work that they had done. And you better believe, you know what I did for the next week after we got that 100? I was so nice to them. They became my best friend because I just, that was my way of saying thank you. Thank you that I got to ride your shirt tail. I'm really revealing a lot about myself, aren't I? Andy, shut your mouth laughing over there. But you understand that there's an element of humility when we realize that we're getting to take credit. We're getting to walk on the work that someone else has accomplished for us. And so when we are overwhelmed with thankfulness of what Jesus Christ has done, here's the message for the day. Here's the message for the next few weeks. Thankfulness produces response. Thankfulness produces response. If you're not responding to the things of Christ, it's not because you're a bad person but it's probably just simply because you've stopped being thankful. You remember how the story of Zacchaeus sort of ended? As Jesus is having 
a meal with him in his house, which under the Jewish tradition, this was a big deal. Like that was opening the door of, I wanna have a relationship with you. And so as Jesus and Zacchaeus are talking, Zacchaeus says, hey, I'm gonna give half my possessions to the poor. What I love about that is not one time did Jesus command him to do that. Not one time did Jesus tell him, here's what you gotta do, Zacchaeus, now that you're a believer. See, I believe with everything in me that Zacchaeus finally realized, hey, you know what? I get to stand on the work of what Jesus has already done. And Jesus, if my way of saying thank you is to give away half of my possessions to the poor, then it's the least I can do. This is my way to say thank you, Jesus, for calling me down out of the tree. Thank you, Jesus, that you invited me into a relationship. But you see, when we become thankful for the gospel, it produces change in all aspects of our life. And that's what we're talking about the next few weeks. When we truly stand on the firm foundation of the gospel, our relationships are gonna look different. Now understand they may not always turn out the way we want them, but you're gonna have a different heart for people. You know, I find myself now praying for who some would probably consider enemies. I've been praying through the book of Psalms and I was praying this morning for certain people and you know, it's so easy to pray the way David prayed when he, when he prayed that God's wrath would pour out on people. <laughs> I can read that and I go, praise God. I knew I liked David. But it's almost as if the Holy Spirit said, well, do you really want that relationship to change? And so instead of praying that, I've been praying God there's any way pour your love out on them pour your love out on the people that don't even like me because I know your love is the only thing that can change people because when we encounter a love like that we have to respond we have to respond But this response is going to affect our relationships. This response to this good news, our generosity will be amplified. And this response to the gospel is going to produce another level of obedience, a desire to be obedient. So if I could use the words of Paul today, what I wanna say is, let me make it clear. Your salvation is not a result of you doing things, but your salvation produces a response of doing things to say thank you. To say thank you. 
And so this morning, um, the way that I want us to close is to simply ask for the Holy Spirit of God to remind us of this gospel. Maybe you have fallen back into the mindset and the, the thoughts of legalism that you've got to earn God's love. One of the favorite quotes, if you've been with me any amount of time, maybe you were a student in our student ministry that one of the quotes that I've kind of been clinging to for years is that in Christ, there's nothing I can do to make him love me more. And there's nothing I have done that can make him love me less. Church, that is so freeing that if I am in Christ, there's nothing I can do to make God love me more than he does right now. And there's nothing that I have done that's gonna make him love me any less than he does right now. And so maybe you've forgotten that simple truth and you just need to fall on your face and say, God, remind me of this gospel today because God, I know that if I understand it, I'm gonna respond. It's gonna bring life change in all aspects of my life. It's gonna be a journey. It doesn't change overnight. And so as the church this morning, I pray that we would just fall on our face and say, God, remind us today of your gospel. But I'm also gonna hold fast to my conviction that I believe that there's somebody here today that's still in the tree. Jesus is inviting you. Jesus is inviting you. He's calling you by name. And he's saying, stop trying to fix it. Just come on. If that's you, you're still in the tree, get down this morning. I would love to pray with you. I would love to celebrate what God's doing in your life. But don't leave here today. Don't leave here today if he's calling you without receiving it means to take hold of. Receive means to become one with. And if Jesus is inviting you today, he's saying, I want you to be one with me. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you made a decision or if you have any questions about salvation or anything about this Christian journey, one of our pastors would love to connect with you. So to connect and find out what your next steps are, go to our website at chestnutmountain.org slash next steps, and there will be a form for you to fill out so one of our pastors can connect with you. We also want you to do three things right now. Number one, leave a review on this podcast. Tell us what you think. And also a review allows us to reach even more people. Number two, subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already so you don't miss an episode during the week. And number three, we want you to go check out our Chestnut Mountain Church YouTube channel. So maybe there's some visuals in this episode that you couldn't see but wanted to see. And that's why we have video versions of these episodes along with other content not featured on this podcast right now on our YouTube channel. Lastly, we invite you to join us live for worship on Sunday mornings in person at 9 o'clock or 1045 a.m. Eastern Standard Time or online at 1045 as well. Learn more about us on our website at chestnutmountain.org. 
And don't forget to follow us on social at chestnutmtn underscore for more encouragement and to see all what God is doing in and through CMC. We love you, we're praying for you, and we'll see you next time.